All right, so Jared, I don't know if you saw on Facebook, but our sister Amy was asking if we were going to talk about Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier on this podcast. We're not. It's <laughs> not going to happen. Well, I, <laughs> generally speaking, no, but I thought we might uh, get that out of our system if we just get you know entertain her for just like a couple seconds right here. Let's talk about other roles that Patrick Stewart's played. So yeah, definitely Charles Xavier. Like I remember, I remember when that first X Men movie came out. Uh, you know, that was like the first modern superhero movie. And I just remember being so pleased that uh, Patrick Stewart had been cast as Charles Xavier because I thought, oh, there's no one better for this role. Like, he, he was perfectly cast. You're in my school for the gifted, for mutants. You'll be safe here from Magneto. What's a Magneto? A very powerful mutant. The man who attacked you is an associate of his called Sabretooth. Sabretooth? What do they call you? Wheels? When they brought him back in Days of Future Past, he was a highlight of that movie. He was so good. True. I, but I do believe you mean when they inexplicably brought him back in Days of Future Past. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't totally inexplicably. They set it up at the end of Last Stand, after the credits. I guess. I guess if that guy whose body he went into was his like, twin, identical twin. Or he used his incredible mutant powers to change the shape of his body. I don't think, I don't know. I don't think it, <laughs> Professor X is... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but really... He was trained as a great like stage actor, like, and he had Shakespearean roles, and he was in so many other like great British uh, films. Yeah, just as he was amazing in the classic Mel Gibson film, Conspiracy Theory. You know, I don't know why, but that was the first next film uh, role that I thought of for him as well. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I remember from that movie, though, at least as far as Patrick Stewart is involved, is him getting his nose chomped on by Mel Gibson. Yes, I remember that vividly as well, because it was kind of horrifying. Also, uh, the scene where he's waterboarding uh, Mel Gibson before like waterboarding was a hot topic in the media <laughs> back when waterboarding was acceptable <laughs> it was, it was okay. <laughs> we were all okay with it during conspiracy <laughs> um, um one other one i want to mention and just because this is dear to my childhood and i think a lot of people will uh share this fond memory too he wasn't in it for very long but he played he was seti in the prince of egypt you know the he was the, oh that's right he was Moses's adopted father and Ramses' mm-hmm. father. Why do the gods torment me with such reckless, destructive, blasphemous sons? Uh, and again, it was one of those roles that required gravitas, that required like some weightiness to it because he was like the outgoing pharaoh. And I remember, yeah, just being really lo- loving hearing his voice in that role because I, th- I thought he fit really well. Yeah, you know, I'm actually friends with uh, the director of that movie, Steve Hickner. Yeah, that's that's a really I can't believe I forgot about that one because uh, <laughs> I know a guy who was involved with him in that <laughs> process. I can't believe you did either. You're off the podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm not even worthy to tell our listeners that they are now listening to the Jean-Luc Picard cast. Engage, T. Audrey Hawk. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Hello and welcome. I'm Jared Gillens. And I'm Shark Gillens. And on the John Luke Picardcast, we honor Patrick Stewart's portrayal of Captain Picard. Each installment features a particular Next Generation episode or film that had an impact on our guest's life. 
Shark and I always have plenty to say about TNG, but the main feature of our podcast is your stories. Please reach out to us on email via Picodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at Picodcast, or on the Jean-Luc Picodcast Facebook page so we can feature your story right here. Awesome. Thanks, Jared. And I believe we have our first guest ever on today's show. Is that right? That is correct. So our guest today is our cousin, Jack. And Jack, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? All right. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Jack, and I am a federal judge for uh, an agency. I'm being vague on purpose, but I do want to say that if any of you do figure out who I work for, the agency does not endorse anything I'm about to say today. And they have not uh, given me any specific permission to speak on their behalf. So this is just all me. I'm glad we got that out of the way. Although I would be quite surprised if your agency had anything specific to say about the episode Sins of the Father from Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, it would be cool, though, if they did. Oh, no. Yeah, I would love to see an official statement on that. I I would uh, submit my job application right now. (laughs) (laughs) The the episode that Jack chose is called Sins of the Father. Uh, It's season three, episode 17 of Star Trek The Next Generation. Why why did you choose this episode, Jack? Uh, The reason I chose this one is it it really encapsulated uh, Worf's sense of honor and the decisions that he had to make to preserve it. That's one of the things I've always loved about Next Generation was just the whole concept of honor and, and how it plays out with the various characters. Yeah, and I think this is a really good episode um, to demonstrate that because not only does it show Worf and his sense of honor and like you said, how he chooses chooses to preserve that, but also we see that same sense of honor uh, reflected not only in Picard, you know, who we love to talk about here, of course, um, who, you know, makes honorable decisions by, you know, choosing, you know, when Worf goes to ask him for, you know, leave. Will you grant my leave, Captain? No. A respected member of my crew could be accused of a capital crime. It seems only appropriate that your captain should be at your side while you make your challenge. I'm sure you would do no less for me. So great because he's like embodying that same ideal of honor. Uh, also, uh, when he agrees to serve as the um, his second, what was the what was the word they chadich? His chadich. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, when Picard is like you know, going to serve as, as his Chadich and takes his role as the Chadich very seriously and knows what his role is as well. Like he knows the rules. All of that speaks to that honor um, concept. And one of the things I love about it is that it doesn't only speak to Worf's background, like his heritage, but it also speaks to the environment that he currently works in. And I think that reinforces Worf's outlook and also Worf's uh, decisions that he makes uh, along the way because he has such great examples in his current life. Like he knows honor better in some ways than even the leader of the Klingon High Council. Well, it's true. And, and you know, one of the things that I was struck with with this episode is that everyone on the council was saying, it doesn't matter why are you here. Your father's dead. Everyone's dead. You don't have anybody but you. What does it matter? And it just mattered because it did. Uh, but, and you know, you said that you chose to talk about this episode because of that, how well this shows Worf's sense of honor and how that plays out. But uh, I, I guess I'd like to hear more about why is that a, an important aspect to you? Why does that stick out to you? Why do, why do you cling on to that? <laughs> no, no pun intended. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> I, I honestly did not intend that it came out. I was like, uh-oh, great. Well, you know, honestly, uh, Next Generation had, was very influential in my life in, in a lot of ways, but particularly with this sense of honor. Um, I remember I, I'd watch it with my mom and and you know, and she loved watching Deanna and her dresses and her mom with all the 
you know, with, with all the crazy clothes that she would wear. And that was, that was what my mom focused on, but I was always just enamored with the whole sense of honor and, it, and the way that it weaved into the story. And especially with Worf, cause he was always in these crazy situations where people would challenge him. And if he could either back down and just let it go and he'd be okay but he would always stand up for what he believed in, even if it was ridiculous. And in this particular episode of Sins of the Father, he lays it all on the line. He is going to be killed, and he doesn't even have any proof to back it up. He just knows that his father was never going to be a traitor, and he he doesn't care. Like he just says, no matter what, he's gonna he's gonna stand up for what he knows is right. And luckily, the, the rest of his friends came through and found the proof that he needed. But but he could have he wasn't he didn't ask them to do that. He all he was asked for was to show up and represent his dad. And in doing that, he knew he was going to die. I mean, you, that that was woven in the plot. That's why he wouldn't let his brother announce himself because he was just willing to die for the fact to prove that he believed in his dad. And, you know, growing up, I thought of honor a lot and what that meant for me. And I'm not going to say like I've always been the most honorable person ever, but especially uh, when I was younger and in my teens and in my 20s, just making huge life decisions, I would think about that point of honor and the funny thing is I, I had this one friend in particular that I, I would talk to him uh, about my, you know, what was going on. And I said, well, I got this, you know, I, I want to do the honorable thing. And he turned to me and he said, what do you mean honor? Who are you, Lieutenant Worf? And, you know, and he, and he meant it as an insult, but I took it as such a compliment. I was like, yeah, damn right. I am Lieutenant Worf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love that. Well, and, you know, the irony now is that I, here I am a judge and I'm maybe not quite as cognizant of what would Worf do, but uh, I do think about honor. And when I face with tough decisions, it's because I've tried to live by a code of honor of myself. It's much easier for me to make the hard decisions, even though I don't like the outcome necessarily, because a lot of times I have to choose between two really bad things. And at least I can know that I'm making the decision based on the facts and the law with that, you know, because I have this code of honor that I follow in the way I live my life and the way I work my job, I, uh, that's how I sleep at night because I know I did my very best and I followed the law. Hey, I love that. And I love that, you know, we're talking here with, with a federal judge and uh, you're telling us that your sense of honor starts with Worf. And I, I think that's really cool. I, I, I just love that. I love that as a nerd and I love that as an American. I think it'd be great if we, if you were to tell us that under your robes, you have a bat left kind of <laughs> <laughs> under there. <laughs> Or like that, you know, that, uh, you know, kind of chrome little shoulder sash thing that Worf wears. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, one example of when uh, honor really came into play. Uh, so there was this woman that uh, had come before me and she was trying to get uh, some benefits because of uh, an injury that she had in her back, but she was still working. And, you know, you, you can't get, uh, you can't get disability benefits if you, if you're working and I talked to her at length and I confirmed in her medical record, she definitely had a very, very severe orthopedic problem in her spine. And she was, and all her doctors agreed that she was in excruciating pain, but she was still working. And like I said, the point of disability is you're not able to work. So the fact that she was still working showed that she wasn't disabled, but yet she had this injury that was so bad that if she was a mere mortal, like the rest of us, there's no way she could have worked. And I asked her about that, and she said, "Well, what am I going to do? Be homeless? Like, my I have a daughter to feed. I, she has to go to school. I have to, I have these bills to pay. I can't be homeless. I have to just make it happen." And I said, "Well, well, how do you get through the day?" And she said, "I just grit my teeth and get through it because I have to support my daughter." 
and like my heart really went out to her because I, you know, it, the, the, it, objectively she had all the markers for being disabled, but she was working. And I really, you know, I went back and forth on that. And I, in the end, I just, you know, I took a deep breath, looked at the law. And even though, you know, as, as a human being, I really wanted to find her, you know, give her the benefit, the disability benefits and tell her, you know, it's going to be okay. Just, you can just quit working now and let the state take care of you. The, the reality is that's not what the law said. The law says, if you're working, you cannot get disability, period. And so that's, that's what I turned to is because that, that as a judge, you know, I'm not a social worker, I'm a judge. My, my job is to follow the law and apply the law. And so that's how I was able to get through that situation is I, had, I applied the law. And unfortunately, it's not the decision I wanted, um, but it was the right decision. That's a really good story. And it goes back, it reminds me of something you said earlier uh, when we were talking that you know, you said something about like your sense of honor and your ability to just acknowledge or feel like you're following that honor is part of what helps you like lay down and sleep at night. Yeah, that's exactly it. And there, I have a lot of colleagues who actually uh, struggle a lot with that because they, they worry about how their decisions affect people beyond, far beyond than what they should. I mean, I'm very cognizant of how that my, my decisions do affect people greatly and, and, and their families as well. Um, but I always know that I'm making the best decision I can at the moment. And I don't, and I just let it go because I mean, I'm, I'm coming up on almost 5,000 different decisions that I've made. And if I, if I ruminated on every one of those, it would just drive me in literally insane. I just, that's just too much of an emotional burden for anybody to, to carry. But I know that, you know, I, I follow the law. I follow my own sense of honor. I do what I think is right. And that's how I know that I'm doing a good job. Yeah. But you know, and sometimes it's not that that not that cut and dry. Like uh, another example I've got is I, I had a there was a woman who came in and she had a, a particular genetic disorder that that was present and had markers since birth, but for some reason her doctors in all of their notes didn't describe the limitations that have to come from that. I mean, the fact that she had this meant she had certain kinds of limitations that would have made her disabled. But she, nobody noted it until later in her life, and she and the, the type of disability she was applying for required that she had documentation of it affecting her earlier on, and it just wasn't there in the file at all. Um, but I knew it had to be there because it's a genetic disorder. It wasn't like she, you know, had a car accident and suddenly it triggered. It's just there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like Down syndrome. You either have it or you don't. It's not, you know, it's not something that you just catch. Um, and so because of that, I was able to, um, I had a choice to make, and that was I could just say, oops, no evidence, you're not disabled, period, and let it go, or I could dig deeper. And I actually ended up digging a lot deeper than I was actually required to because I just really felt like I had a, a duty to to make the right decision. And in this case, I felt like she there had to be something there. So I, I was able to order... Uh, uh, some uh, an opinion from a medical doctor to 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 talk to, to t- tell me what you know what what the the uh, medical world t- felt about this condition and what what it would look like early on and and I was able to uh, dig up some more records that she had forgotten about you know through discussing it and in the end uh, after digging up all that stuff I was able to find her disabled and I was right that there was there there was a reason for for me to find her disabled. And ultimately, it was I was doing more for her than her own attorney was, hmm. because I just really was, 
I, I take the job very seriously. I take my sense of honor very seriously in doing this job. And I was able to, to do this for her. You were her Chadich. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every once in a while, there'll be something where, you know, or, or just in, in the course of my job, I might make a mistake on something I'm working on. And, it, and because of the way that fed, the, any kind of government job works, but especially federal government, a lot of times it's really, it would be really easy to cover things up. And or just let it go and don't say anything. And then by the time anybody figures it out, no one will know who did it. You know things like that. But it always comes down to like even if nobody would know, I would know. And so I, I always fess up to all my mistakes. And uh, and at one time it, it actually paid off. Like I, I you know I, I, again I have to be rather vague, but I sent an email that I uh, where I was a little disparaging of somebody, um, and they found out about it. And instead of just letting it go, I immediately told my boss, I said, you know what, I did something I shouldn't have. I sent this fairly, you know, somewhat disparaging. I didn't think it was that big a deal, but the other person took offense. So I just said, look, just so you know, this happened. And then later, uh, it came up again, like years later, this person went dug into it again. But because I had mentioned it to my boss, and he had reprimanded me for it, verbally, you know, he just told me, I, I, you know, I, not to do it again, that was the wrong thing. Uh, I was actually on the, I actually benefited from fessing up to what I had done wrong. And it, you know, it's not very often that doing that kind of thing actually pays off. Usually it's just, it goes off in the ether and you hope that you get good karma from it. But in this case, it actually paid off. And, and I try to make that something that I always do. I, I, I don't try to hide my mistakes. I don't try to hide anything wrong because it all comes back to, you know, what, what would Worf do? You know, he, if he made a mistake, he would just walk up and say, Captain, this is what I did, you know, and he might he'd just take his licks and just be done with it. <laughs> like without hesitating, he would step up and be like, yeah, this is what happened for sure. Well, not only that, but I think in the context of the episode that uh, you chose, like that's also the case, like in the short term, you know, Worf is you know, dis- disincommodated and, you know, stripped of his honor, uh, at least to, you know, on the records of his people, but that in the long run, his choices did uh, create a benefit for his house. Uh, it also, ended up in the long-term crippling the house of Duras, which is, was a good thing. I think we could argue. Um, and, and, you know, it was a serv- he did a service to his people. And, and I love that. Like you said, like in, in, you know, in the end, doing the right thing, doing the honorable thing. I mean, you know, we, we're not, I don't think we live in any kind of fairy tale where we can all pretend that like doing the right thing always turns out the best for everyone, because sometimes it does come back and, and bite you or, you know, like life happens, the world isn't perfect. But often, you know, doing the right thing is is the best. It is like, you know, like we, we, we live honorably so that we create a more honorable world um, that benefits everyone. One of the reasons why I picked this episode is uh, it has actually one of my favorite scenes of the whole the whole series. And that is uh, at the end where it's come out that Duras is about uh, the dishonor of the Duras family and, and what the whole setup actually was. And Worf is stunned, and he's saying, "You, you know, you're the son of a traitor." And then, and then the uh, chairman—I forget his title—the chairman, the leader, the council lead, council guy. Anyway, it's like com- complex or something like yeah. that. Yeah, you know, he just says, "Well, it's already been decided." You know, no matter what happens, it's already been decided. And and then Picard just loses it. You admit the truth, and yet expect him to accept punishment. What does this say of an empire? who holds honor so dear. I speak now as the captain of the USS Enterprise and Lieutenant Worf's commanding officer. You will not execute a member of my crew, nor will I turn his brother over to you. And Worf 
just very stoically just stands there and, and turns to him and says, the Chidish will be silent. Well, actually, he shouts it, but I, you know, I didn't want to shout. <laughs> the Chidish will be silent! He's able to draw the line and just really see the difference. In that moment, he's Worf. He's not Lieutenant Worf. He's, he's, he's the primary person. And he just he shuts him down. And he could have just stood there and let Picard, who is this vaunted captain who... You know, who has a lot of political power, he could have allowed him to put some pressure on him, but he stood up for his own fight. And when and he realized what was going on, he wanted to win on his own terms. Uh, and he just, you know, and, and, you know, he shut Picard down when he was being dishonorable in the Klingon way and being even mocking and just took it, took it over and took his licks and did his own solution the way he wanted to, the way that he thought was the most honorable thing. And I, you know, and I, I just always love that he, you know, he he didn't let somebody else win for him. Yeah, I love that too. And also, while we're talking about like just great moments from the film or from the episode, also from that same scene, as things get resolved and Worf, you know, agrees to be the scapegoat to you know to to take on the shame of of you know the supposed shame of his father for the sake of the integrity of the empire, and you're just kind of like, oh man, this sucks. Then he steps up to Duras and says, "You." Are the son of a traitor, and then he smacks him. Smack, and yeah. then and then, but the best part to me of that scene after that happens because you know Duras looks like affronted, like you know he might kill Worf. But then you look, the camera pans over and it shows the compec of the the, the Klingon High Council, and he just kind of smiles and does a little nod like approvingly. And I love that because it's it's affirming, like he's recognizing that like it with that smile and nod and like kind of allowing the. The, the, the smack and the accusation of, you know, your father was a traitor, even though he's doing sort of like the awful thing of like putting this on Worf's house. Uh, he's also acknowledging, no, Worf, you are the honorable one and you deserved that smack, you know, on Duras. Yeah. And I just thought that was pretty cool. Well, hey, let me let me flip this on its head for you guys and say, uh, was it actually a dishonorable act for them to throw the House of Moog under the bus? You know, it's it, for the sense of the entire the entire empire because they predicted it would fall into disarray and civil war and deaths and all that kind of stuff. So was it actually a dishonorable act to do that? I think that's a really good question because, you know, they state like we, we didn't think you would care. We didn't think you would come to defend it because you're, you're in the Federation now. So we thought that you had kind of abandoned your Klingon roots. So we didn't think this would be a big deal to you. And we had no idea that you had a brother who was still living. So in the mind of these Klingon leaders, they didn't really think anybody would be impacted by by this decision. They picked they picked the family to dishonor that would be the least affected. Let's invoke Spock, right? That the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few and the or the one. Um, and that if 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 that Vulcan logic holds, then yeah, I would say that it possibly was the more honorable thing to dishonor a few in order to uphold the greater good of the empire and keeping them from descending into war. But still, it, it, but even though like I'm acknowledging, sure. Okay. Okay. I think this may have been the more honorable decision. It doesn't take away the sting. And so it's still, even though he is doing the more honorable thing and it doesn't make it hurt less on behalf of like Worf and what's going to happen to him and his family. Yeah. Right. I mean, sometimes the honorable thing to do is not the easiest or the most likable or the most comfortable thing to do. Sometimes it's actually, has really hard and horrible outcomes that might result in uh, something that you would always try to avoid. Mm -hmm. 
I tell you something I really liked about this episode. It's a really good, cool Picard moment is uh, when Worf goes in after after his brother's been stabbed, um, and Worf goes in to ask Picard if he'll be his Chadich. You know, Picard agrees, and he immediately speaks in Klingon to uh, to him. Jilajnesh. Teach Ket Jagmijaj. I accept. Translation is, I accept with honor. May your enemies tremble before you. Um, which is great. I mean, it's great, but also it's, uh, that's actually a traditional phrase for a Charich to say when he accepts the role. And um, this ties back into our previous episode where we're talking about just how, how amazing an anthropologist uh, Picard is and how he familiarizes himself with other cultures and backgrounds. And I just, I'm amazed that he has um, learned so much so deeply about the Klingon Empire that he is ready to speak the language in in very specific circumstances. Um, and then it goes on through the episode to see, like, he very much fills that role of Chadich, like, with confidence. Like, when, uh, you know, when uh, Duras uh, kind of tries to intimidate him and Picard, like, stares him in the face and says, I'm the Chadich. If you want to challenge me, come at me, bro. You know, he's like, <laughs> yeah. let's do this. I just love that about Picard. He's just... He, the, his familiarity with the culture has, prepares him to um, act in this very important role with extreme confidence. I'm not here to command. Then you must be ready to fight. Something Starfleet does not teach you. You may test that assumption at your convenience. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, such a great line. Oh, I love yeah. it. There was a really great quote from Michael Dorn. And I love this because, again, it just ties right into this theme of honor that we're talking about and how important this episode is, not just to Jack, but really to the full continuity of Star Trek. It says, so this is a quote from Michael Dorn. It says, there was a lot more involved in it than the writers realized. Things that have to do with Klingon loyalty and honor. They didn't give it its due. You look at Worf in a different light, and I've played him in a different light since that episode. This is not something they have come up with. I'm doing this on my own. Hey, it's their fault. They wrote it. So now I'm going to carry on with it. And I think that's so cool that this episode is a turning point for Worf's character that Michael Dorn decided to make the choice that this is going to be a, a central, a defining part of my character. And that that in turn affected the way that Klingons and their culture and their um, folklore and everything was portrayed from there on out. And I, and I think that's so cool. And that's a great tribute to Michael Dorn and his choices and his skills as an actor that he was able to shape so much of Star Trek continuity based on how he interpreted the script for this episode. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, in the, in the original series, the Klingons were brought in basically as a proxy for the Russians, like, cause you know, the original series was very much um, an allegory of the cold war in some ways. Oh yeah, definitely. And so the Klingons were sort of written off as sort of this simple, we don't really need to get into them because they're the enemy. You know, there's just like, you guys know what Russia's like <laughs> from all of our propaganda. So why bother? Um, and I like that in next generation, they take that old, just sort of like one dimensional enemy that was created for the Federation and they give them a real face that they give them more depth. And I think that's an important thing to do that. And, and this, you know, I, I guess this here's some social commentary from your host. Um, but I, I, whenever we 
dehumanize an enemy or take away their face or assume some sort of simple motivation or background for them, I think that does us a disservice as much as the enemy. And I love that in Next Generation, they were saying, no, these aren't just simple villains. These are complex people. And we're going to like show everybody there's something to this and something worth knowing. Anyway. You know, Jared, when you were when you were telling that story, I, I, you made me remember the first time I ever saw a, an episode of Next Generation. And I'm really, I'm I can't, I'm really happy about it actually because I'd completely forgotten. So I remember I walked into my mom's bedroom and she was watching it. Mm-hmm. I said, "What's this?" And she said, "Oh, it's a new Star Trek." And so I sat down and started watching it. And war the and I saw Worf on the bridge and I said, "You can't have a Klingon on the bridge." <laughs> and she turned to me. And she turned to me and she said, "They wouldn't be very advanced if they didn't make peace with their enemies, would they?" Oh, oh. that is such wisdom from your mother. That's, oh my gosh. That. I just gained a whole new level of respect for my aunt. <laughs> well, that's funny that I remember that. I appreciate that, you guys, that you helped me re- reclaim a part of my history with my mom. Hey, that's that's why we actually that's why we started the show. We want people to to have the you know hold on to these memories and like really. I mean, it's kind of it, sometimes it feels silly to say, "Oh, this like pop culture show influenced me or affected me but honestly it did right and so i'm oh sure so we're glad if we if we can help you reclaim some good memories of your mom and that bond that you have and and it was connected to this show i mean that's why we're that's why we're doing this oh and just for context for the listeners my mom died about 10 years ago so this isn't something i can go and revisit with her so yeah i really appreciate that yeah it was great we were super excited to have you on the show and you know you're our first guest so it's a groundbreaking episode for the podcast i'm happy to yeah, uh, anytime I get an opportunity to geek out, I, I take it. Thank you. All right, thank you, Jack. We appreciate you being with us. And thank you, listener, for listening to another episode of the Jean-Luc Picodcast. Please like, follow, and or subscribe to our feeds on Twitter at Picodcast and the Facebook Jean-Luc Picodcast page. And don't hesitate to email us at Picodcast at gmail.com if you have a story to share, too. See you next time. You don't have to take our word for it. Make it so. Chaka, when the walls fell. I want you all to stop crying. Hi, I'm Billy, and I really like Sins of the Father. I learned, how, I learned that traditional Klingon assassin's knives leave a very deadly wound. My brother was a disgrace to our family, so I ambushed him in the middle of an alley one night and left him for dead. Mm-hmm.